0: Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jem Duducci, and what we do here is we take a piece of pop culture and we show how either deliberately or kind of accidentally there's some real history underneath it. So we condense the pop culture and we condense the history so it's it's almost like you get a concentrate of information on this podcast as i take between half an hour and 40 minutes to bring you on a journey to hopefully tell you some things you don't know before and so what are we doing this time round? well I'm going to be talking about Euro 2020. A game of football to determine the victors for this year, at least. And indeed, at most. Which of course is happening right now in 2021. It's a weird time at the moment. So with that in mind, I'm going to say this topic of the Euros will of course bring us back to early medieval Byzantine Empire, It will bring us to a modern China, and it will have, critically, a conversation about soft power. So if that sounds interesting, come with me on a journey that will take us to multiple continents over centuries of time if you are not particularly into sport of course i've noticed all the football stuff the euros are the biggest football and when i say football for my american cousins out there i'm talking about soccer is the second biggest event in sporting after the world cup which is the biggest event for again soccer now what i find interesting actually before i go into what i find interesting I must define what soft power is a fort made of pillows. Soft power is one nation or one culture influencing other cultures without financial or military entanglements. So for example, I am running country a and next to me is country B. Now, if I wanted to be a bully, I could send in the army and I could definitely get country B to do it my way. Or maybe I do soft power and soft power comes in many different shapes and sizes. So for example, let's say my country, country A, is world renowned for its education system, particularly universities. Country B is very much behind the curve on education. So what does country B do to help it catch up? It sends its best and brightest to country A to learn an education. But you're going to have to learn that education in country A's language and through country A's lens of morality, culture, points of view on history, etc. Which will mean whether these country B people like it or not, they're going to start getting influenced. They might start assuming the only way they can get a higher education. Is to be a bit more like Country A. And so I am beginning to win the battle of hearts and minds without firing a single gun. It could be something else. Something else that Country A could be very good at is entertainment. We are great here at Country A with TV and movies and let's throw in video games as well. Now they're all in our language and they're all about our culture, but they're very exciting, very fun. Everybody loves them. And so do people in country B, and they start picking up again. The heroes, the languages, these people who I've never met before, who don't even come from my country. (gasps) They're coming here for the opening of their new movie. Oh, we're going to turn up in throngs to cheer that person's name, even though I've never met them, and they don't come from my own country. So you get the idea. Soft power, I think you can already work out, there are lots of countries that do this kind of deliberately and sometimes accidentally perhaps the best example of this is hollywood in america now it is worth pointing out that hollywood was set up at the very early parts of the 20th century it was set up for a number of different reasons every country in the silent era had its own film production because changing the films was very very easy the scenes were silent, and then you might get a little card with the information of what's going on or what key thing was being emphasized here in your own language. That was easy to cut and turn it into French or English or Japanese or Russian or whatever. Much harder when talkies came in. So pretty much every country had its own film industry obviously this is also the time of empires as well so something like the British Empire would have distributed British films around the British Empire I slightly digress however in America it was largely set on the east coast but because it was becoming more and more expensive harder and harder to make movies that they ended up going way out west to california which was far away from unions and particularly new jersey's rather onerous taxation and regulations and rules whereas in california they could do whatever they wanted but there was another advantage to california it was largely sunny and seeing that these very old fashioned film cameras needed lots and lots of light you could set up sets in a back lot somewhere and you just had mother nature's sunlight it was substantially cheaper also in the area if you wanted to shoot something on a coast you've got coastline but also you've got deserts nearby you've got relatively lush orchards and things like that so you could have lots of outside locations which were always you know a bit different, and yet within an hour's drive of each other. This is obviously worthwhile. And the other thing that helped Hollywood from starting, or, or growing, I should say, is the fact that you then get World War One, and suddenly places like Britain and France and Germany aren't producing anything nearly as much as they used to, because a lot of their young men are on the front lines fighting, whereas America didn't join the war until 1917. And by then, you've got a huge amount of interest in Hollywood. This isn't a conversation about Hollywood, but there you go, there's an example about how it's evolved. And indeed, today I'm aware of the COVID world that we live in, but if you think about it, the single biggest grossing movie of all time is Avatar. Seeds of the Sacred Tree. Very pure spirits. Because it got re released during the pandemic, in case you're wondering. Number two is Avengers Endgame. Other movies that have been worldwide biggest grocers are E.T. E. T. Phone Home. Star Wars, The Godfather, Gone with the Wind. So do you see how all of these are American? I mean, right now, because the cinemas are open in China, the biggest grossing movies of 2020 and 2021, the top 10 is dominated by Chinese product. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about my experience with football, because I don't talk a lot about sport here. I've talked about history. I've talked about books I've read. I've talked about video games. I seem to clearly be more of a, let's in inverted commas, geek.
1: Oh, that isn't very nice. Marge, try to understand. As a jock, it is my duty to give nerds a hard time.
0: Then I am some kind of, in inverted commas, jock. And you're right. I was rubbish at sport at school. However, I'm not one of these people that's super into football. My issue is that I think football's a fun game, and it's great when there's a lot riding on it. But if it's something like... Reading versus West Bromwich Albion on a mid-league table game where neither of them have any chances of either relegation or promotion, it's just going to be a fairly boring match. I mean, if you're really, really into Reading FC, good for you. Enjoy yourself. Fill your boots. Have fun. You do you. But the rest of the world doesn't really care. You're a Spurs fan, aren't you? Well, my family are. I'm not really into football. As I said last time, you suddenly remembered you were a massive Liverpool fan 20 seconds after they'd won the European Cup. (laughs) Spurs, eh? Well, I'm going to let you off after what we did to you last week. This is why I, I quite like watching a Champions League final. Because you tend to get the same sorts of teams cropping up. Yes, it's a Man City, or it's a Barcelona, or it's a Bayern Munich. You know, these names keep cropping up again and again. But it is kind of exotic when you see something like Liverpool playing AC Milan. You know, those, those teams do not play each other all the time. And when it is a Champions League final, it's worth millions to that particular football club, but it's also worth the pride. This is what people have been building up to. And indeed, there is, I think, a fairly strong argument that Champions League football genuinely is better than the things like the World Cup because these are the biggest teams in the world and they get the best players. They don't all have to come from the same country. If you just get every footballer from let's pick a a country that everybody thinks is awesome generally brazil you know they've got lots of good footballers but maybe just maybe the very best goalie in the world is german and the very best center midfielder is french in which case what you want is the best people not necessarily the same nationality but undeniably there is a a a fizz when it is country versus country. This is soft power again. You can start lording it over each other without anybody necessarily being killed. And therefore I remember 25 years ago was Euro 96. That was the last time there was a major sports tournament in the realms of football here in the United Kingdom. Yes, there was football in the 2012 Olympics, but that's slightly different. But I remember the sheer excitement. I had been into football since about 1990, but it was 1996 that really caught my imagination. Where people like David Seaman and McManaman, who I always thought was a thoroughly underrated player for the record, you know, these sorts of names were sort of putting on the English jersey. And we obviously did pretty well. We got to the semi-finals and got knocked out by Germany. Because. And oh my goodness, that Gaza, such close shot. Oh. Just, just millimeters off scoring and getting us through to the final. And of course it came with that marvelous song, uh, Football's Coming Home, Three Lions on our shirts, I should say. but it's the one that goes, Football's Coming Home uh, with Baddiel and Newman. I was in my twenties. It was just everything. Although I do remember me and my mates, we wanted to go and watch one of the matches in a bar in central London. And they looked at the five of us. We were just very normal guys. And they just went, sorry, you know, we we don't allow groups of men in on their own, you know, because of potential violence, uh, potential trouble, they said. And we just looked at each other like, no, we're the ones scared of trouble. We're not going to cause any trouble. But yeah, that was slightly disappointing. But anyway, hey-ho, that's that. And then, you know, there's 10 years ago, the England team was utterly rubbish and they've just been booed out by the fans. They've been rebuilt under Gareth Southgate, who just before the tournament did this amazing letter, Dear England, which is just a masterclass on quiet leadership about pride and hard work w- without being arrogant or aggressive about it. And this is the thing, every country has their own heroic stories in something like football. And going back to America, the weird thing is, which country has the world's largest economy? That'll be America. Which country spends more and has the most effective military machine in the world that would be America Uh, which country as I've already pointed out has grossed more at the box office than anybody else that would be America too. America is a world player when it comes to food fashion Music, so on and so on—all these soft power ways to influence people. You know, there are kids in the jungles of Malaysia who absolutely know, sort of, who Taylor Swift is. Will sort of like boogie on down to her on their Apple phone. Uh, you know, so technology, America's sort of number one with as well. But the one thing America really just hasn't cracked the rest of the world in is sports. Yes, we're all aware of what we call American football and baseball and basketball and things like that. I love Michael Jordan, all right? What? Is that Michael? Michael! Michael. <laughs> it's Air Jordan! <laughs> I call. I did I Michael Jordan! But... It's, it just it hasn't been caught on. Weirdly, it's the games that Britain has invented. Golf, tennis, football, cricket, rugby. It's just weird that all these ones are genuinely the international must-watch sporting events. It's it's so weird and unusual. So yeah, America doesn't really get the same oomph around the world of when it is something like a World Cup or Euro 96 and oh, or Euro... 2020. Now, obviously, a bit like the Olympics, what's happened is because nothing happened in 2020, it's all been moved by a year, but it's still being called the right year. I mean, this is like the jokes that were coming out a few months ago saying, look, if you want to convince me that it's March the three hundred and seventy ninth of 2020 i'd believe you because we haven't really gone anywhere or done anything we've all kind of put our lives on hold and it kind of makes sense and also on a practical point, these countries had spent tens of millions creating all the marketing materials what you're just going to pulp them just because you have to change a twenty to a twenty one it kind of makes complete sense but Undeniably, these Euros and indeed the Olympics will be unlike any other Olympics or Euros ever. I was watching the first England match and I was pleased that you could finally hear a crowd again, but even so, the whole of Wembley only carried 25% capacity because of COVID restrictions, which is quite right under the circumstances. Obviously I was shocked as everybody else when Denmark played their first game against Finland and you had one of the Danish players collapse with a cardiac arrest he's doing well now. But this is a, a young man at the peak of physical fitness and yet caught out by something like that. And this is like why when people go, oh, you know, it's football, it's all just sort of like loutish, it's, it's, no. Sports is drama writ large. If we watch a movie, even if we've never seen something like Star Wars or Die Hard before, we know in our heart of hearts that to make it a successful story, the good guys are gonna win. You know, it may look like John McClane in Die Hard. Is it really a spoiler for me to turn around and say, John McClane survives Die Hard? Because you'd probably want your money back if he doesn't, and you get very angry and grumpy with it. But the thing about sports is there's no script. Your country can be knocked out in the most unfair, nasty way ever. But that's what just happened. It is heart in your mouth time. My youngest son said to me, why do you want to watch this match? Why don't we just do something else and we'll see the score afterwards. And it's like, that is pure logic, you're right. But it's this unbelievable stress that can happen, which leads to, at times, unbelievable elation as well. It's risk reward writ large. So yeah, th- this is the thing about any great sporting event i am not a sport nut i still don't quite understand cricket and i love the fact that russians find cricket fundamentally unfair because it's two people against eleven people which they're absolutely right and that is something i agree with russia on whatever sport is your sport it's very hard when people are representing your country to completely ignore it you're going to have cars driving around with the flags waving out. There'll be banners. Sometimes, you know, particularly when you get a long way into a tournament and there's a goal scored, you can, or, you know, points scored, you can literally hear the whole street shouting at the same time. Yeah! Because everybody's on the same side, basically. Unlike the Super Bowl, okay, where in America, you know, half the country might be on one side of one guy, one bunch of guys, and the other half are on the other side. So it's it's a bit different. So that's... If you like my my setup about my relationship with sport I'm not a die hard sports fan but I will absolutely watch something like this and become riveted and suddenly become weirdly obsessed with sort of certain players and their performance just like everybody else but i don't get drunk i don't start throwing things around sadly with regrets i happen to know the nhs has released statistics that there is an increase of domestic violence every time england is knocked out of the world cup or or an equivalent tournament like the euros that's terrible and awful. And and just, no, absolutely not. Saying that, though, there was a Colombian player back in the 1990s who basically allowed a goal to happen. And when they came back to Colombia, was shot by a drug dealer's hitman. That person was already dealing with their inner demons about what they should have, could have done on the day. There's no need to start killing people over sport. But this is what I mean. It's a big deal, which brings us onto the area of all of this soft power with a historical context. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick with the current Euros for a moment. And I'm going to start reading out some names because I've been paying attention to the sponsors on the, the digital boards around the play area. So let's see if you can name these companies in terms of what they do. World's first. That's it. That's just called World's First. How about Ant Chain? How about Hisense? No? Okay, fair enough. Well, if we go back in time to earlier sponsors of these sorts of games, how about these names? Brands. Carlsberg. McDonald's. MasterCard. Canon. Yeah, I mean, those are all fairly knowable names. I'm pretty sure you probably even see their logos in your head. But this is an example of soft power because world's first Ant chain and Hisense are all Chinese companies and their advertising is rubbish. They don't understand how international brands work. World's finest took me, sorry, World's First, I should say, took me a while to work it out because it it was World's First followed by Mandarin symbols. And it's like, World's First what? I mean, that's the thing. It's called World's First, but, you know, you need to know what is it to be World's First. And it turned out that World's First is the actual genuine name of the organization. What do they do? They do currency transfers. But you can't get any of that because it's written in Mandarin. Now, Mandarin may be technically the most spoken language in the world, but more than 95% of those people are in China. So if you really want to, for historical reasons, English is the most spoken language throughout the world, most broadly spoken second language. There are more people in China right now learning English than there are people in Britain. Just full stop, that's it. Why? Why is English? English is a terrible language. It breaks all its own rules. It's not uh, completely phonetic either. You try explaining to somebody why cough and slough are very similarly spelt, and yet they sound completely different. It makes no sense unless you start knowing English. It is a very inefficient language to learn. But from basically 1700, To 1920. So, for more than 200 years, pretty much the biggest player on global empires was Britain.
2: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
0: After World War I, Britain's still got the largest empire the world's ever seen, but we're seeing the rise of America. And pretty much the next century is referred to as the American century. And again, because they used to be part of the British Empire, although obviously they went their own separate way, they kept their own language. They didn't all decide to start speaking Dutch. The English is stuck on. So in other words, the world has been influenced by more than 300 years by this one language, which is why it's hanging. It's it's, so basically the reason why people are learning English right now in Beijing is an Imperial hangover from the British empire. Do you know what kind of makes me proud? Now people are arguing, you know, we all should be learning Mandarin, but the reality is if there's one language that's harder to learn and pick up than English, it's probably Mandarin closely, probably bottom of the list would be Japanese. They got three different types of alphabet slash character sets so they've got an entire character set on whether the word is originally japanese or it comes from a foreign origin i mean that's a deep dive in the history of the country as well as also having to learn the language but the point is this china wants the world to recognize it it's been like that as you know for about 25 years but it's taken a lot longer to start getting involved in sponsoring major tournaments sports tournaments so world's first is currency transfers ant chain is about blockchain technology that is so specific there is nobody sitting there watching i don't know ukraine versus netherlands and thinking Do you know what i really really want i mean that was a fantastic opening match wasn't it two 0 to netherlands then two two you know ukraine comes all the way back then netherlands scores in the last five minutes and wins three two that that's a football match Anyway, at no point in that match were people thinking, do you know what I really need to look into? Blockchain technology. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And Hisense. Hisense is the most logical out of those, but it's not a brand up there with the likes of LG or Philips, but they do the same thing. They make high def TVs or, you know, high quality t- televisions. Some other ones from the current sponsor list TikTok. We all know who they are, but they aren't technically Chinese. Just Eat. That's, again, a sort of fairly obvious one. And Heineken. Well, OK, Heineken instead of Carlsberg from years gone by. All of those kind of make sense. But it's a sign of China's confidence. And I'm going to add into another thing that you may possibly have heard of. China has an entire foreign policy, not based on the military, but instead referred to as Belt and Road's. And Belt and Roads is more than a trillion dollars of logistics and aid support around the world to largely developing countries that have a strategic importance to China. So it may be somewhere like Uzbekistan or it may be somewhere in East Africa where mining might be a point. And what they'll do, what China will literally do is say, hey, we're going to come in we're going to build roads. We're going to build entire towns to support this infrastructure. We're going to improve your harbors and things like that. But oh yeah, oh yeah, all that bauxite ore that you've just mined, yeah, it's coming to China. So in other words, you may get a lot, but they will get a lot back again. As one editorial I read said, "China doesn't forget its debts." You may not be able to pay financially, but then in somewhere like Uzbekistan, which is incredibly strategically important place between basically China and Russia, but also very close to other places like Pakistan, for example, then having a military base there that in all intents and purposes is actually just part of China China can do whatever they want to on that military base. That was worth sticking in a bunch of roads for the incredibly corrupt Uzbekistani government. So you get the idea. This is a way to influence without ever having to start doing a very risky wars. Wars don't always go your way. People die. You might get the United Nations trying to shut you down. They cost a fortune. So why not spend that money on building and coming across as almost like the good guy. Here's my open checkbook. What do you need? But in the meantime, spreading influence. So, I find this fascinating, and believe me, China is not the first place to do it. Going back to the British Empire. Those examples I gave you earlier on about Country A and Country B, you might as well just change that to Britain and a another country. Oxford and Cambridge, they're not the oldest still-functioning universities in the world. I believe the oldest in the world that is still a university is the University of Paris. But we are still talking about medieval. We are still talking about eight, nine hundred years of history, where some of the greatest people from British society have graced the corridors of those two institutions. And indeed, if you told pretty much anybody around the world, I'm going to Oxford or Cambridge University in, in England, People would nod appreciatively. Yes, I just mentioned University of Paris. Okay, fine. And we've got like Harvard, and we've got MIT, and Yale. Okay, there we go. I'm kind of running out. Look, China may have more money than these other places. They may have more up-to-date campuses than these other places. But the University of Shanghai just doesn't have the same cachet. It doesn't have the same history as these other organisations. In going back to the British imperial time, you would get the upper classes, the sort of ruling classes of these local countries, make sure that they're educated in Britain. They speak English, they probably play cricket, Uh, there was the whole line about the, the generals of the war fought their battles on the playing fields of Eton. The public school side of things as well, soft power, also combined with other power, and not quite like the Belt and Road thing but the British Empire today the British Empire a lot of people sort of go on about the injustices of the British Empire and they're there I want to be quite clear about it there was one Anglo-Indian writer who said is the British Empire good or bad is such a huge topic you might as well say is the Atlantic Ocean good or bad because anything you want to find that kind of proves your point one way or the other, you'll find it, as it were, and it was so monolithic. I mean, a quarter of the world's landmass, a quarter of the world's population, all under this one imperial project. There were terrible things there, but the thing that people forget is that the British Empire did fight, but it didn't have a particularly large land army, particularly compared to places like France and Germany and Russia. What it largely did, the reason why the Royal Navy was the the senior service compared to to the army, is that the Royal Navy was protecting all the trade routes. The British Empire was not like the Roman Empire, even though some of the leaders wanted to compare it to things like that. It was, after all, bigger than the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire always expanded through crushing the competition with the legions. The British sometimes did that, but they just simply didn't have enough men to fight constant large-scale warfare across the face of the globe. No, it was largely a trading empire. They would politely, cynically trade you into submission. They would co-opt you. This is a little bit like Belton and Road. But if I mentioned the Byzantine Empire, Some people call it Byzantine. It never sounds right to me. So I want to call it Byzantine. And before I do, come on, this is the plug. Just very quickly saying, I want you to subscribe. I would love you to give us a review. And I plead to you, tell some people about us. Maybe just retweet the fun little links I put out every Tuesday to the latest episode. Or tell somebody, physically tell somebody. That'd be lovely. But please, please help us spread the word. On this particular podcast that's it job done right so uh, moving on the byzantine empire what i found interesting about that is look it, at the very beginning of it it was basically the eastern roman empire but the eastern roman empire was sort of in its prime in the 500s a.d when the west had collapsed but it was still a formidable trading military cultural power okay But it didn't properly fall until 1453, when its capital, Constantinople, was taken by Mehmet II of the Ottoman Empire. That's about a thousand years later. And so one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of the study of it, I've actually studied it quite extensively, is it's kind of depressing. It's a long, slow decline. You get the utter collapse in 1204 during the Fourth Crusade, where for about 50 years you have Westerners running the rump of this empire. It's pretty much dribbled away to virtually nothing. And then they make an amazing comeback, which I'll give them 10 out of 10 because everyone just counted them out by then. But you've then got another 200 years where they're being squeezed by all sides. But certainly by the mid Byzantine Empire, they knew that they couldn't just send out their galleys or send out their armies like they used to. So how do we influence the locals? Particularly those very annoying Slavic group called the Bulgars. I'm not making this up. There's genuinely a Byzantine emperor called Basil the Bulgar Slayer. That's how much they didn't like Bulgarians, okay? And Bulgarians came in. They were invaders, if you like. They weren't the locals that ended up becoming the country called Bulgaria. I digress. But the point is this, what they did is they use their culture and in particular, their religion as a way to trade this soft power yes there wasn't cinema in those days or football tournaments but the Greek Orthodox Church obviously originates from the likes of Constantinople and I don't want to get too much into this because we we don't have 14 hours to do the history of the early church. But the early church was combined, was was unified between East and West. And it was only in 1054, the Great Schism, which finally separated what was then Catholic faith and then the Orthodox faith in the East. But even before that, it was becoming more and more its own thing in its own right, being separate, certainly not listening to the popes in Rome. But anyway... The point is this. If you just want to look on a map, modern day Istanbul is a very, very long way away from Moscow. How did Russia become Orthodox Christian? And the answer is, it's because of the Byzantines. You had these early Rus, which is where you get Russian Rus princes, based in Kiev, by the way. Kiev used to be the capital city in modern-day Ukraine. Then the Mongols thought that was an inconvenient place. So they they basically got them to settle and set up their own territory in this place called Moscow. So there we go, there's all kinds of history going on here. Lots of different civilizations and cultures. Oh, I'm just gonna throw it in there. Kiev was even set up as a trading post by the Vikings. So you've got Vikings, Mongols, Russia, Ukraine, and Byzantine Empire, all in the space of a paragraph. It's pretty good going so the point is this that the early rus princes wanted to unify their people under one faith at that time they were pagan and so very importantly one of their ambassadors went to constantinople and walked into Aya or san sophia which is now a museum after the fall of 1453 it was a mosque for about give or take 450 years at the time it was the largest cathedral in the world and, and was for nearly a thousand years so no other building no other religious church structure can claim to have been the largest one in the world for nearly a thousand years pretty impressive anyway point is this that when these people from the from these diplomats from the rus arrived and walked into san Sophia. They looked around, and they we literally have the notes about this, the, the letter saying it was as if we walked into heaven itself. And comparing it to the far far smaller, ropier churches in Rome, clearly this was the one to go for. And that is why, to this day, Russia is Orthodox rather than Catholic or Protestant. The Orthodox faith. A lot of people don't realize that it was used for the convenience of stalin during world war ii but fundamentally communism is atheist just like in china today so they don't want organized religion and it was purged it wasn't completely wiped out they didn't i guess they didn't have the heart to quite go all the way but it had some very very lean years but it is now back and it's back in rude health and so all of this is linked to the soft power plays of an empire from a thousand years ago i find this stuff fascinating and i i hope you do too so i guess the next time you see some of these advertisers flashing up on the screens at whatever sporting event perhaps pay a little bit attention to them because if they're not from your country what are they trying to say yeah they're trying to sell you something but what's that country trying to do and particularly with some somewhere like china things are coordinated from the top up it, it isn't a completely open marketplace if your business displeases the chinese authorities it will get shut down or broken up or you will be sent to a prison camp or something like that house arrest whatever That will happen. Now, obviously it doesn't work that way in the West. So there has to be a question about what's the hidden agenda It's basically this trying to say, look, China is just as technologically advanced as everywhere else. And to be fair, it is going back to Apple phones. They may be American branded, but they're made in China. It even says it on the back. So yeah, on that final note, I'm going to leave you with that. What did you think? Have I got you thinking about soft power a little bit? Have I opened your eyes a little bit to some of this stuff too? And, depending on when you're listening to this, what do you think England's chances are to win the Euro 2020 championships? Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> this, this will be dated very quickly. Thanks for listening, and as always, speak to you soon.